Hello and welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Haunts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone that has a product or a business idea and wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This show is about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. One of these days I'm going to run out of breath saying that. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> um, in this episode, we're going to have a bit of a chat about just some different business model ideas. Yeah. Um, different, different ways of making money. Um, predominantly via software, but we're going to talk about some yeah. non-software Money all counts, money all counts, so yeah, we're looking at a few Absolutely. Uh, before we do that though, so how's things been for you? Yeah, still, still crazy busy. Um, we're doing a bit of research on some new calculation tools that we're working on. Um, you released one a little while ago, didn't you? Was yeah, it, was it was it the, the Flitch, Flitch, Flitch yeah. beta. We're just going to take that out of beta soon. We're just, just going through the beta phase. That's pretty much done, to be honest. So we're launching that properly soon, and then we're moving on to the next tool. Um, which will be a rafter calculation tool, but we just want to do a bit more research. Um, so doing lots of research about different different ways of doing calculations, etc. We're also looking at getting some expert help in. So we contacted Nottingham University, and we'll probably contact other universities about possibly getting a consultant in or or getting help or whatever. So we're just looking at different options at the moment. Okay. Um, we kind of it'd be nice to get have like a second opinion on some of the things that we're doing. Is that effectively like hiring out the um, some of the lecturers? Yeah, if we could, yeah. We were looking at different options. It might be like PhD students or master's students okay. or possibly a, um, it'd be nice to get like a professor or something like that. I don't know, I don't know what you could get. We get we're looking at different options at the moment. So yeah, it's it's, it's pretty 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 hard to do actually, you know, to, to reach out to these people. You know, we've got a few contacts now at Nottingham University, so we're hoping to to get some success with that. Yeah, cool. Uh, so for me then I'm just finishing up my Pluralsight course on leadership styles. Okay, yeah. Um, it's been a fairly straightforward build, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of these things. Most of the time is spent uh, writing the script. Is it? Yeah. Which is yeah. Li- literally like writing a book every time. Is it? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about sort of 20, 25,000 words. That is, yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. But that's almost done. So I'm just finishing that up. Um, partway through recording the public speaking course, okay. which, which is going well. Again, that's a fairly routine build. Um, a lot of it's based on a book, a short book I wrote the other year on public speaking. So a lot of the material is coming from that. So yeah, so you can recycle some of that previous content. Um, About middle of July, um, I'm going to Kansas City. Okay. To a conference there called KCDC, which I'm really looking forward to. Okay. I'm doing a one day workshop there, so I'm just getting prepared for that. Yeah, what's what's the the sort of theme of the the conference? Uh, The conference is a general uh, software development conference. It's called the Kansas City Developers Conference. Okay. Uh, it's quite a big event. I think it's like 160 speakers. Oh wow! Okay, so it's, yeah. it's quite a it's quite a big one. So I'm doing a workshop on secure coding, and I'm doing a talk on which one am I doing? Scaling agile in organisations. Okay, yeah. But think about what talk I was doing then. So that's really good. Never been to Kansas before or Kansas City. So a bit of a pain in the ass getting there, and I'm a bit nervous about the flight. Is it? Uh, is it not a good one? Yeah. Well, I'm, I've got to fly to Dublin first, which is fine. Then I've got a three-hour layover in Dublin. Okay, uh, yeah, that, that's yeah. okay. Then I've got to fly to Chicago, and then I've got from landing there, I've got two hours until the connecting flight to Kansas. Okay, yeah. I've now been told by lots of people that Chicago is a bit of a nightmare to fly through if you're transiting because you have mass- oh, okay. we have massive queues at immigration. I'm now like worried that two hours isn't going to be enough to, to get through. Oh, no, <clears throat> to get yeah. through, but we'll we'll work it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully you can get through. I'll, 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 if all goes well, I'll be getting there sort of. Over a day early, anyway. So. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, I'm sure you'll be able to sort something out. But I'm looking forward to it. It's lots of uh, got lots of friends and stuff out there who are speakers. Okay, so one of the speakers is holding a big sort of uh, 
paella cook-off party. Oh, wow, okay. It's going to be good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, sounds, sounds cool. And there's going to be, yeah, if you've got a few friends from Texas there as well, so I can, with them all in the same room, I can then ask them that sort of dangerous question about who does better barbecue, <laughs> Kansas or Texas. Oh, dear, okay. I'll ask that and then move out of the way. Yeah. Um, apart from that, working on another book called The Path to Freedom. I think I've mentioned it before. It's kind of a businessy book. Okay. Um, I've yeah. kind of delayed it a bit because I'm focusing on Pluralsight, but I'm hoping to have a big release of that, is that very is that early next with, year. Um, kind of side hustles and et cetera, is it? Or? Yeah, kind of, you know, similar stuff that we talk about on the podcast, um, you know, company of one or single person companies, very practical book. Okay, yeah, yeah. Lots of advice, but I'm planning on doing that. As, it's gonna be as a book, an audio book, a Kindle book, and a series of training courses. Okay, yeah. Which hopefully I wanna develop into some workshops as well. But that's gonna kind of, kind of be like the, the big project for next year. So I'm just getting everything in place for that. Oh, is it okay, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a good one. I've done a, a very rough first draft of a lot of the content, but obviously there's nowhere near ready to release. Okay, yeah. So yeah, you'd have to let me look at the draft. To, to see if I can well, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to recruit a load of beta readers near yeah, the time. Yeah, I could, uh, I could do that. One. I could be one, yeah. So yeah, that's going, uh, it's all going well. Okay, we've got some pretty good questions this week. Um, so the first one is from Tom. So he goes, Steve, you mentioned that you remove social media from your phone and Kevin just doesn't use social media on phones. Yeah. So without social media, how much of a role does your smartphone play in running your business? Yeah, it's a trick. I've been thinking about this actually. At one point, I was thinking about getting rid of my smartphone and just having like an old style phone, you know, that isn't Nokia just a phone. Phones. Yeah, like a Nokia 3310 or whatever, whatever the modern day equivalent of that is. Um, but, but they're no, back, they re release a lot of them a little while. I know, yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, the batteries last forever, don't they, from what I recall? You know, you lost mm. about a week, didn't they, or something crazy like that. A lot of uh, sort of the more security paranoid people are saying if you ever travel into the US, you shouldn't take your iPhone with you and you should buy one of those like Nokia oh, phones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a thought, isn't it? But um, Could you actually use your phone as a phone? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. You talk to real people on it, don't you? <laughs> I've been known to. It's good to have those. Yeah, and no, I do actually use the smartphone as a phone to talk to customers because um, we do telephone support. So I do actually use my smartphone as a phone, not as a smartphone. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't use the smart bit, just the phone bit. <laughs> you know, but, um, but no, I do, I do um, use the phone, you know, if I'm out and about and I need to quickly check the internet. Uh, or check emails. I still have emails on the phone. I have, I've been thinking about removing email, the email app from the phone. Okay, I haven't done that yet. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't use it loads. I tend to, if I'm doing work, I tend to use the laptop. I don't know if you're the same or if I'm doing proper work. work yeah, I mean, know. I'm different to you. I mean, I, I, I hate having conversations on the phone. So that's actually the bit <laughs> I use the least. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, if I was to go back from my call history, it's only ever calls to my wife. Is it, or, yeah, or my wife yeah. calling me to check up on what I'm doing or where I am. <laughs> Why aren't you home yet? Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I use my phone for lots. I mean, I've I've stripped back the social media as we talked several episodes ago, just because it's a waste of time. Yeah, I think I'd be careful about how much time these things. I mean, but I do, I do use the phone a lot. So when I buy train tickets, I use the the train line app. I use Booking.com and Airbnb quite a lot. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I use it for things like that. I use Slack. I mean, I haven't taken Slack off just because that's the primary way which I talk to Pluralsight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've decided I, I use Slack, but I just use it on my computer. I don't have the Slack app on my phone. Yeah, I've, I've, um, removing that from my phone was a step too far. I've had to wean myself off the of socials. So uh, yeah, yeah. And I think things, all, all of these things are addictive, aren't they? All of these apps, you know, so I try and avoid them if I can, because I think I just spend too much time on the apps and not get anything done. Um, I, I could quite easily run my business without my phone, though. I'm yeah. Not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dependent on it, but yeah, I've, I've got quite a few useful apps. 
I think you just have to be wise about it. I don't think you should be a complete Puritan and say, I'm, I have thought about it, <laughs> just not having a, a smartphone, you know. But I've got several games on this, I'm not I play. If I'm sometimes winding useful. away the hours, I've got loads of games on there for the kids as well. I think it's useful to have the phone when you know when you're out and about in a new town, you want to know where things are and stuff. You know the maps yeah. and the yeah. biggest thing I use my phone for is it's basically an iPod. So I use Apple Music. Ah, uh, okay. I use yeah, all the time. Yeah. I love listening to Apple Music and the podcast app. Ah, uh, okay. And Audible. Yeah. I think it's just being sensible with them, isn't it? And and using it using it to you know using it in a way that's not distracting. Of, what you should really be doing, you know, it's, it's just being wise or using it to be useful to do things that are useful, not mm. just wasting your time, you know, that's the tricky bit, isn't it? It's, it's that fine line, isn't it? So, yeah, I, I use mine quite a bit, but so I'm, I'm not really dependent on it. Yeah. I, I could, no, could I run my business without my laptop? No. <laughs> no, I couldn't, no, no. But I mean, um, I think if I just got rid of the smartphone, just had uh, an old style, phone not smartphone but just a mobile phone um you need to get yourself on those like phones ones with the really big buttons are aimed at like yeah, older yeah. people that it is it mentioned that digital minimalism book about isn't it somebody who had one of these they're aimed at like um sort of pensioners or elderly yeah. people where they're just, just really like big, a simple really big, big buttons you could just all you can literally do is just use it as a phone you know um so i have thought about that but i haven't quite gone that extreme yet um, so there's another question here from Cara. Yeah, so uh, were either of you entrepreneurial as kids? Were the seeds sown at an early age? It's, it's a strange one. Were you entrepreneurial? Did you do the whole tuck shop thing and all this kind of stuff? Or? So I was thinking about this because I, I was going to say yes, but then I realised it wasn't really me. I was just, a friend of mine was doing it and I was just kind of following. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we, a friend of mine, Daniel, his name was at school, and, and he, he had loads of little business ideas. So one thing he did, which I... Cause he's my best mate, so I'll just kind of went na- along na- with natu- it. Yeah, naturally went yeah, along with it. Friend like that. Is he, he used to buy a load of. Um, well, this is going to show me age a bit. But he used to have those little digital wristwatches, like the James Bond one that plays the James Bond theme uh, okay. tunes and stuff. Yeah. He figured that he, you know, if he goes. His, his dad had a membership to a cash and carry place, like a big warehouse cash and carry. Uh, he used okay, to buy yeah. these watches for like £2 a go, and he used, he used to sell them in the playground for £4. Which is quite good until we got caught by a teacher. He was really? told, told that you're not allowed to actually make money off of your fellow students no i think that's wrong yeah i've heard this all the time where where kids try and be entrepreneurial and the, and the powers that be try and stop them you know yeah or, another, another yeah, business we had wrong. Was, i think um, you should be encouraged really my, my dad used to work for a computer company called amstrad um, okay yeah, yeah probably more bigger in the uk than i think in other places yeah yeah and he worked there so they had a pretty good sort of staff um purchasing scheme where you could like buy computers and printers oh, okay. yeah. and, he, and he bought home it was kind of like one of the first iterations of an inkjet printer this, oh, this, this okay, is like back yeah. in the early 90s you know it's going back quite a while yeah that was yeah and you know the print quality was pretty good so me and my friend set up a little business where we had i can't remember what the name of the software was but it had loads of like templates for different like greetings cards and certificates and posters oh, okay, and stuff. yeah yeah and we used to print those out for people at school and we used that to charge is... like 25 pence a Sheet. <laughs> that's quite on try. I mean, actually, actually, strange. I wouldn't really say I was entrepreneurial. I mean, I, I grew up on a farm, so kind of like farmers are kind of semi-entrepreneurial in their outlook. Okay. And it was always quite resourceful because we didn't, we never had loads of cash. So, so it's an actual, an actual working farm. Yeah, yeah, working farm. So we had to be quite resourceful, you know. We used to make a lot of our own things, you know, and and, and sort of make do and mend, you know. And we were quite resourceful. Okay. I think you kind of have to be, you know, if you if you live in that kind of environment. What type of farming was you doing? Um, we used to like keep cows and sheep and okay. a lot of livestock really you know um, so animals you know and 
and it, yeah, it's kind of are semi-entrepreneurial, you know, in, in that. Kind of, I remember we used to do like things like car boot sales, and we used to um, we used to go down to the woods and get like old, you know, like them old like iron milk churns. It used to be like years ago, mm. so we would chuck loads of them in the hedges or whatever, or down the woods or whatever. So we used to go and collect them all and then take them to car boot sale and sell them at the car boot sale, those kind of things. <laughs> and, and do things like that. But I wouldn't say I was really entrepreneurial. I had friends that were entrepreneurial um, and he used to sort of help them out with their ventures. But I wasn't, I was more, I think I'm more to be an inventor than an entrepreneur. Okay. I think that was it. I always had aspirations to sort of make things and invent things and, and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I've always been sort of quite creative. I've always been rubbish at selling. Okay, yeah, fair enough, yeah. I think it's a common thing, just like, especially a lot of my friends are software developers, you know, they're very good at like, you know, thinking of ideas and building systems, but then actually getting people to use them. Yeah, yeah. Give you money. I mean, that's it's perhaps like, uh, you know, again, talking to customers and asking people what they want and what they're prepared to pay for and all this kind of sort of yeah. development. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky with the whole plural site thing because I don't have to do any of the selling. I, mean, obviously, uh, okay, I, I, I yeah. promote my courses and I try to get my name out and all that, but, you know, Pluralsight does all of the, you know, getting companies to buy licenses and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I wouldn't say I was mega entrepreneurial as a kid. I think some people are, aren't they? They're kind of, it's inbuilt to them. But I think I was more wanted to be an inventor or, or create things. I mean, we never had much money, so I never had a computer and stuff. I remember buying like a, a BBC computer from a car boot sale, things like <laughs> that, or, or getting, you know, what was, the other, what was the game, the Atari 2600, do you remember that? I had, Oh, the games off, console. Yeah, yeah, I bought one off a friend, you know, like, you know, that was quite old then, even then, by the time I had that, you know, so we never really had computers. Showing our age. Oh, no, you know. But yeah, no, not, not really entrepreneurial as a kid, really. Um, I'd love to say yes, I was, but I don't know, not really. Yeah, I wasn't really, so I was, I was more of a follower, so my friend was very entrepreneurial. No, he, he, I'd Is he entrepreneurial now? I wonder if he's still... Uh, he runs his own business, actually. Um, he's a driving instructor. Runs a driving okay, school. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess he yeah, is. Yeah, I suppose he is, yeah. still doing something. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't really keep in touch with him that much. But, yeah, he seems to be doing all right for himself. So, yeah. he obviously knows what he's doing. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he, he was a proper sort of Del Boy. Del Boy. Yeah, inside of his school blazer, he had all these wristwatches. And was, like, oh, trying yes. to sell him in the playground. I find that quite sad that the, the, the powers that be, the teachers, sort of shut down your business i think it should be encouraged yeah well, it wasn't allowed i know it's, it's quite sad isn't it when that happens you know where it should, it should be encouraged shouldn't it really it's it's sad isn't it really because you know if you get a, a customer who's not happy i mean how, how do you resolve that in the playground it's normally a, surrounded by kids having a fight isn't it oh no yeah yeah no it's tricky fight 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 <laughs> oh, no. uh, let's move on then i think from that I've been both to some companies where it's a bit like that as well. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I thought I'd be calling this uh, um, episode just to talk about some kind of different business model ideas. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, I was having to think about this and sort of going through some of the apps that you use and some of the websites that you use. Okay, yeah. And they're, they're sort of you know very different sort of ways in which you kind of build up revenue. Yeah, yeah. So I thought we'd just have a bit of a look at it. Well, I thought, you know, let's just recap first kind of the, the idea or the difference between passive and active income. And I know we've talked about this before yeah, on the show, yeah. but you know, we've picked up a lot of new listeners who aren't necessarily have going to gone back and listen to all of our listen to all the old I think stuff. They should, though. <laughs> oh yeah, they should. Yeah, definitely. I don't think they will. But no. you know, they should. <laughs> don't. But um, yeah, so you've got this idea of passive and active income, which is sort of banded around quite a lot, especially when you read a lot of businessy books. And the best way of characterising it is active income is kind of what most people are used to. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's the job, you know, you're trading your time for money, which is effectively what a job is, isn't it? So you, you sign a contract and you agree to work eight hours a day 
yeah, five days yeah, a I mean, week. Maybe like and, and you get paid a salary. Freelancing or, or contracting work, but basically you get paid for each hour that you work, whether that be as a, a salaried employee or, a, or as a contractor. Yeah, I mean, as a contractor, you generally get paid what, a day rate or an hourly rate. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's called active income. That's what, you know, the majority of the workforce yeah, I mean, is used to. But the problem with that is, is it's very difficult to scale it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, so, you can only work so many hours. You can only charge so much an hour. I mean, it's, it's a good way of, of getting quick revenue, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, and it's easy. And then the other option is to, uh, it's sort of passive, what we call refer to as like passive income, which is generally if you build a product, whether that be a physical or a digital product, mm. and then it's sort of scalable because you can sell multiple copies of that product, can't you? I mean, yeah. the disadvantage is it usually takes a while to build up passive income, doesn't it? Or yeah, absolutely. So the work I do with Pluralsight is an example of passive income. So I might spend three months building a course. Now I'm using three months of my time to build that course. I'm yeah. not being paid to build the course. Although there is a small completion fee at the end, but that doesn't compensate three months have, of your yeah, time. Nowhere, yeah. nowhere near. That's quite often the, the thing with passive income. And also you're not guaranteed that it's going to be successful. So you could put up all that initial investment in time. And, and quite even with passive income, they generally find you have to put additional time into it, you know, as you go as well. It's not yeah, I mean, this, this is why you might sort of get something that's a bit more blended to start with. And I know in the last episode we talked about, you know, working on side hustles whilst you're still working with someone else. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of where you're probably going to have more of a blended version of this, where you're working for someone else, earning a salary, that's your active income. But then on the side, you're building a product, which might start off making you, you know, $10, $20 a month, but then suddenly it's earning $100 a month. Okay. Six yeah. months later, it might be earning $500, and that's kind of how you grow by building more sort of products. Yeah, yeah. I think also the good thing about eventually with side hustle is sometimes it gives you discipline because you don't have loads of time. It's sometimes good, isn't it? It gives you, you have to be quite disciplined, you know, you know with your time, hmm. and it probably keeps you controlled, doesn't it, you know? Uh, so you have to be resourceful, don't you? And yeah. There, there is definitely more risk in passive. I mean, when I look at all the courses I've done, you know, some of them have done very, very well. Some, there's a few that I've done which I thought would do well, but they haven't done as well as what I'd have liked. Yeah, yeah. They still earn money. You know, they they still earn you know a good amount of money each month, but they haven't done as well as what I expected. And that's kind of the thing you you, you don't know. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Well, there's things you can do to limit the risk, can't you? You, know, you can sort of get feedback from customers and yeah, and see what general trends in the market are, etc. And but it is tricky, isn't it? You never really know until you actually launch something. You know what it's going to do. But then there's a, another concept as well called the sales funnel, which I don't see a lot of people talking about that often, but it's actually quite a powerful kind of mental tool okay, when, you, yeah. when you're looking to um, build your own products. So if you think about a funnel, you know, that sort of typical funnel shape, at the, at the top you might have a load of products which might generate small amounts of money. So it might be a book, it might be a software product like your software products, it could be like one of my courses. Okay, and yeah. the idea is that you're trying to get people to use that product. So you're, you're trying to get people into your funnel and you're trying to get them down to the bottom of the funnel. So the way you do okay, that yeah. is you bring them in via other products and other means. Okay, yeah, so it might be like say a smaller product. So, that, so they're giving you small bits of money, but then what you try and do is you try and convert them into a higher value customer. Okay, yeah, yeah. So in your case, for example, you, know, you might have someone come in who pays for your product, but then they might want to then use you as a consultant. Yeah, potentially, which, yeah per hour or per day is probably going to be worth more to you than what the initial cost of the product was. Yeah. Oh, yeah I'm, I'm just imagining, like, yeah. I don't know for sure. I'm trying to avoid doing that because I don't want to, I'm trying to not do, I'm trying to do less consultancy work. Yeah, yeah I know. In my case as well, so I have people come in, watch my courses, read my books, for example, 
And then the way that kind of gets more value for me is someone could either ask me to do some consulting for them or they could ask me to run a training course for them. Okay, yeah. And yeah. for me, the higher value big ticket item is going in and doing a residential training course. Okay, yeah. Or I'll go yeah. in someone's office or in, in a venue. Yeah, so you can start off with a, a smaller product that feeds onto a larger product or yeah. offering. And, and as you bring people into a sales funnel, you kind of want to own your customer and know who your customer is. So a downside to one of the things I do is with Pluralsight, I have no idea who my viewers are. Uh, okay, I, yeah, I'm not yeah. given access to that information for you know GDPR, data protection reasons. Yeah, yeah. When I sell a book on Amazon, I have no idea who's bought it. I know okay. where they're from, like what city they're from. Oh, but you don't know who they are. Or yeah. what country they're from, but I don't know who they are. Mm. So one of the things I try and do as part of my sales funnel is on my website, I have an area where you can sign up to join my mailing list, a proper you know, double opt-in style mailing list. But then I offer two free books as well. So I try and entice people. That's called a lead generator. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you want to kind of own your own mailing list, ideally, don't you? Or your own customer mm. database. I know it's hard, isn't it, if you're selling through other platforms, isn't it? That's what this, is, this is saying that I've heard loads of times where they're saying the money's in the list. Yeah. If no, you can yeah. own a sort of a personal, well, not personal relationship, but you can own like a, a relationship with your customer. Yeah, I, ideally, you want to do that. I mean, sometimes I know, obviously, the good thing, the disadvantage of uh, the good thing about using platforms is that you've, you've got a ready-made platform mm. to market into haven't you so you don't have to worry so much about going out and marketing your courses on plural sites because they already do that for you don't yeah. they or so i mean so at the moment I'm, I'm trying to get people to join that list they get two free books for okay yeah, so yeah. there's a product they get off the back of it because then when i release that other book that i'm doing later in the year or early next year yeah i can yeah. use that as a kind of a lead generation tool to help try and get get the message out okay yeah yeah so I think that's, that's sort of worth talking about. You know, you see, you have you, you can have one or multiple different products or ways that people can pay you money as a business, but then you might be trying to funnel them down to a higher value or bigger ticket item. Yeah, yeah, or perhaps sell them other pro- because we've got different products now, so we try and upsell our other products. You know, if they buy one product, we try and upsell. Upsell. Them that's that's yeah. a perfect word to so use it as a way of upselling to yeah to different. Um, Plus, plus also once you've got their say email you can contact them if you're launching a new product or something like that you know or yeah. any any anything new that you do so now when you're starting out you're not going to have a funnel you're, you're, you're going to be starting to build the building blocks at the top of the funnel yeah which, which then eventually might go down to some more higher well you, you not, don't have to do this but it's, it's a kind of good way of sort yeah, of yeah i mean perhaps you can customers. adopt the approach that you've done where you um have like a you know, something you give away for free in exchange for an email. Hmm. So you build up an email list. So when you do launch your official product, you've got people to, yeah. to contact. My advice is don't, don't, don't build that email signing thing yourself. Use a proper one that's GDPR certified as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. can't remember the name one I use. Is it MailChimp, I think I use? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, yeah. You, you pay that a small amount per month for them to do it all for you. Yeah, I think there's various different tools, isn't there, that you can use to, to sort of... Um, increasing mailing list. I mean, we get emails through our, for our, you know, when people buy our products, they provide an email address. So we keep a database of all the email addresses. So when we launch a new product, we let them know, or if we so launch so you, a new- so you own your customer straight away. Yeah, you, you yeah. own the relationship straight away. Yeah, we have considered like doing like, um, like there's other, other competitors that do, uh, they have like an iPad app or something like that. And, but you can charge that monthly subscriptions now for like iPad apps and things like that. But the only problem is you don't know who your customers are. Hmm. And there's no way of finding out. You don't own any of their details. You can't contact them in any way or do anything, you know. So yeah. it's, it's not ideal. I think you're better off being in control of your own data if you can. I know obviously it's more of a headache in terms of GDPR and securing data, etc. But I think it's worth it, though. And what you say about subscriptions kind of leads us into the next bit okay. as well. So I was, I was 
kind of thinking about different ways in which people make money through apps and I say apps and sort of but really what I mean is it could be a mobile app it could be a web based service yeah. I think the majority of our viewers or listeners are kind of more in the software space okay yeah, yeah. So this is probably sort of quite relevant to them so the first one probably the most simple one is where you have an app or a service and then you just have an upfront fee uh, okay, so yeah, this, this yeah. service costs £10 you pay your £10 you, and you get, get the you, app you get your yeah. yeah I mean we did actually do an app version of one of our products at one point an iPhone app but we, the thing is that it's, it's a tricky business model um, it is because you're not getting recurring revenue yeah you don't get recurring and plus you can only charge a small amount because you do usually quite a simplistic pared down version of probably your main product but you can only you know you look at other competing apps and they say so it's like a race to the bottom a little bit with the app store isn't it yeah it's it's hard to make I'm sure people do if with the right app with enough people buying it I'm sure you could do it um, the thing is as well I mean maybe because I'm in my 40s I think this and I think a lot of the younger people do you know take computer games for example I used to prefer it when you went to the computer shop you paid your 25-30 pounds you walked out of a nice box in a carrier bag and you, yeah. you kind of owned the product and that was, <laughs> and that it. was it Yeah. I mean certainly with apps on like, you know either the Android or the iOS app stores you're right it is kind of a race to the bottom and people seem to be more reticent about paying money for software even though people have probably spent months of their time building this software mm. there kind of seems to be this kind of stigma about sort of paying I think it's, I think it's quite hard. I think it can be done I it's, mean, worse, it's worse on Android I think I read a, a study saying that people on iOS are more inclined to pay for apps where people on Android aren't yeah yeah probably you probably think they probably possibly got more money if they're buying a more expensive iPhone than, a, than an Android device but um, you know, it's, I think it's I think it's a tough. I mean, we did it with the app as an experiment for a year, and we sort of I just basically canned the app after a year because it it was hard to get you know get to make the pricing work for us. You know, right? It just did didn't you? Would you say you got benefit from it though, in that you had actually launched a product and you kind of got a lot of learning from that? Yeah, yeah. Like, don't do it again. That's what I learned. No, <laughs> I, mean, I shouldn't say. It. I just I've, you do hear. That's yeah, I was about to say maybe doing the single payment app is kind of a, a good way of testing the water, but you, yeah, you, you, know. you think it's probably not as good a way um, of doing it. I'd probably prefer to do a, a more comprehensive web app, that's or, or even even a desktop product, you know, than a than an than an iPhone. Yeah. App I mean, one model I've seen which I don't mind as much is where you get an app, um, the app's free, but you get like a an advert bar down the bottom. Okay, yeah. So you know if. If as the app maker you're getting significant volume, then you're going to make some kind of revenue from the ad service. But then a lot of these apps kind of have a kind of a tip jar thing where you can like pay two, yeah. three, four bucks. Yeah, I did have you a, can turn the apps off. I did have a friend who tried turn to, the ads off tried off. to do this where you know you charged ten. Who had an app and it was going to be a consumer app, um, and just, it was hard to get the numbers, you know, to make it pay. You know, you need crazy amount of sort of display ads to make mm. the money back you know it's, it's a tough it's a tough model it can be done I'm sure there are people out there that do do it but I think that's the first like mil- that's, millions of downloads and active users yeah that's you need you need real you know real huge amounts of users really to, to make any money off it it's, it's it's a hard it's a tricky one to do it, I'm sure it can be done we need it, them coming back to the app as well you need them to come back and keep constantly loading the app up don't you? yeah yeah it's gonna be something quite sticky you know I mean if it's like Facebook I can see how they make money but you know, Instagram or etc. You know that they're going to make money off yeah. ads. Digital, digital manipulation. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's hard. That's a tough. That's a tough. That's a tough model. It, it it's probably what if you're starting out as a side hustle. I think that would be a tough one to pull off. I'm sure somebody could. I'm mm. sure it does happen. So don't 
do it just because I say don't do it, you know, but I, I'd be sort of very careful about that one person. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Steve, would you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think if you're doing it as a full-time business, that's probably not a very sustainable model, but I guess if you're trying to test the water and putting the product out there and seeing if anyone's going to buy it, yeah. whilst you're working for someone else, that might be a good Yeah, it might be a good try. to test, test an idea out, yeah. Yeah, which I guess brings it on to the next level, which is kind of bringing in subscriptions. Yeah, yes, it's, oh, it's becoming even more in the consumer sector now, it's becoming uh, more and more subscription services, aren't they? You know, with Netflix, etc. you know. Yeah, I mean, I pay, um, I pay quite a few subscriptions for different services. Is, I think that but, but, I, but I've been pulling yeah. a lot of them back recently. Really, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like you get fatigued by the amount of subscriptions that you've got. <laughs> yeah, perhaps there's a bit of, a bit of <coughs> people sort of rebelling against against that thing. Because, I mean, you know, like I pay for, you know, TV-wise, you know, I pay for Netflix, I pay for Amazon Prime. I'm no doubt going to pay for Disney Plus when that comes out. Okay, yeah, no, I'm not supposed to be Disney. <laughs> and um, I pay for the one on YouTube as well, just because it gets it stops adverts. Oh, okay, yeah, so yeah. Majority of YouTube's original content is rubbish. Oh, yeah, saying, yeah. It's but a low just have, just not having apps uh, ads on there is. is whoop. It's almost a microphone. There's that, say, there's that saying in showbiz don't work with children animals and Kevin Kevin <laughs> <laughs> just like just like knocked the microphone I'm so, I'm stood on the cable I've knocked it off me <sighs> okay amateurs 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 <laughs> yeah was, um, uh, yeah so subscription services so, I mean yeah I, I pay for all these like movie ones but I'm getting to a point now where I'm like it's kind of too much yeah because it's very easy to sign up for a subscription and you quite quickly forget what you're paying yeah and end up paying a lot of money in the end yeah you do have to be careful don't you i think with the subscription there's one app i've seen recently so if anyone is kind of in the apple world and, and follows a lot of the apple podcasts there's a guy called casey liss who's a host of the accidental tech podcast okay. and, and he's, he's an ios developer recently gone um solo okay so yeah. quit his jobby job and he's now a, a freelance person okay yeah. and he's just, he's just released an app called vignettes uh, on the iOS app store and what this app does is it takes all your contacts it looks at the ones that haven't got photos assigned to them yeah. and it looks on services like Gravatar Facebook Twitter and it will try and extract photos for all of your contacts Okay. Yeah, so yeah. the app's free you download it you go through it it will, it will try and find all the photos and it will show you what it's going to do okay. at that point if you then want to save those photos in your contacts list you then pay five bucks okay yeah yeah which I thought was an interesting one. So you actually, you're, you're using the app, you're getting the value, or par partial value from the app, but at the point you actually want to commit, that, oh, that, that's, that's when you pay. pay. Yeah, so it's kind of like yeah. delayed payment, which I thought was quite an interesting model. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, actually, I, I mean, something like that might work because there might be enough people out there that want to do that for that to work, you know. If you did something quite niche, I don't think that would work, but if it's something... For him, it's done very well, but that's because he's sort of quite internet famous. Oh yeah, it's gonna help. Yeah, yeah. So because because of the, I mean, if you, if you're into Apple like Macs and iOS, and the chances are you've heard of the Accidental Tech podcast. Okay. And yeah, because yeah. of that, you probably know some of the other podcasts that he's on as well. Yeah, so, so he's actually he's actually built up quite a big following through that. Built built the audience. I think that's why sometimes it's so important to build an audience. You know, it's it's so useful when you launch a product. You know, I think as easy because we've been going so long now. I've got such a database of of like emails of previous uh, subscribers. It makes life easier for us. You know. Um, I mean, subscription model is the way that we've gone now with our product, with our uh, beam calculated product. So we do like annual and monthly, um, like recurring subscription. Okay. Now, for and it, it does work really well actually. From from a business owner, I think it it's it's great. Um, 
Uh, I mean, ours isn't crazy money, but you know, we're doing sort of professional software now, or you know, professional grade software. So, yeah, I was, I was listening to a podcast this morning on the way to the office, and they were talking about an app called um, oh, what's it called? Twitterific. Okay, yeah. it's like an alternative Twitter client that you can use. Okay, but you can use it on your iOS device and on your Mac, and it syncs everything together and all that. Okay. And they've just released a new version, and they they were trying to solve the problem of subscription fatigue. So they've got multiple different ways in which you can pay for the apps. You can use it for free with ads. They've got a, a monthly and a yearly subscription that you can do as well. Or okay. they've got an option to pay, I think it's just $30, and then you've got it for life. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Which I thought was quite interesting. I wonder, I wonder which is, is how, working. How, how popular that's going to be or not, I don't know. But. Yeah, it's a trick. I mean, the advantage of, from a business owner's perspective with a subscription is it's kind of reliable income. You can you can roughly work out what next month's revenue is going to be. It takes out some of the peaks and troughs. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you find your revenue is quite predictable then? Off the back Relatively of predictable, yeah. I mean, obviously there's some variation, but, you yeah. know, it makes it more more predictable, you know, more steady as a subscription Service. Would you say your service is a consumer service or more aimed at businesses? It's, it's more aimed at businesses. Okay. It's a bit of a mixture. Some consumers do buy it, but it's mostly mostly professionals or people that are in the industry, you know. So I guess that makes a difference. You're probably going to have more reliable customers in a, in a business context. Yeah, generally. I mean, we do actually segment. So when people sign up, we ask them what they do, as, you know, as what, what profession they are. And we tend to find that different professions, so the more serious professionals, um, are better they, they stay longer they churn less okay we get more our lifetime value for those is a lot greater than um other users you know um so you do you do see the difference and do you have the issue of pricing as well where you're trying to not have customers that are hard to maintain you haven't paid very much yeah we, we try and outprice them basically <laughs> so if you if you well, well, that's, that's what todd was talking about so what, what episode was that we, that we spoke to todd gardner we get the episode number. So yeah, so in episode 21, we interviewed Todd, Todd Gardner from a company called TrackJS, and he was talking about this exact problem where they initially had a free tier for their service, but they found that they were spending, you know, like 80% of their time supporting customers on the free tier. Yeah, he did. Well, we've never done a free tier, so we've not had that problem. But yeah, even with the lower value, sometimes you find that those sort of customers are more problematic. Um, so obviously you can avoid, you can make life easier by the, the way that you charge customers, you know, or have mm. the better, more professional customers just by charging more money. Um, I think there's an interesting book. Have you read the um, latest 37 Signals Basecamp book? The, no. It uh, doesn't have to be crazy at work. Okay. I think you mentioned it yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. And they, what they do now is for new customers, they just have one tier and it's like $99 a month. Okay. And they find that by charging that amount, it reduces their support burden because the cheaper customers were costing more to support than the, the greater customers. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you do have to be careful with pricing. I think if you if you charge too little or if you offer a free tier, sometimes that can cost end up costing more to support than the value that you get from the customers. So then you do have to keep you know think very carefully about how that you charge customers. Yeah. I mean, I mean we're always kind of experimenting with pricing in different tiers and etc. You know. Like the, the one type of uh, revenue model I always find a bit slimy these days is more around your in-app purchases. Yeah, I think as a consumer it does. It does. So subscri- I, mean, I think a subscription is technically classed as an in-app purchase. It's like a recurring purchase, isn't it? And those, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that as a business model. I think that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. good. But the thing I really hate is like you get it in a lot of these games where you get like the pay-to-play in the loot boxes where they just try and get you to buy a bag of gems or a box of coins. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
I think I, I don't know how these. I mean, I don't know how these. I suppose this is probably like Candy Crush and there's examples where they've done been really commercially successful, haven't they? But all oh, businesses they've, they've done incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, from the business owner's perspective, they're probably quite good, but from consumers' point of view, it's kind of a bit yucky, isn't it? I, I can't stand it. I mean, um, it's, it's like my, my kids now. I mean, they, they you know they're both getting used to using digital devices. They've both kind of got hand-me-down phones. Okay, yeah, they yeah. They're, they're both on iOS now, which is which is actually really good because they can't do any purchases or download anything without me approving it. First. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Which is quite. But they're, but they're forever wanting to get, download these games. So we download them. So you know, there's adverts on it. Okay, well you can turn the adverts off for a couple of bucks. I'm happy doing that. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you, they're playing it, and then suddenly this thing pops up, and you have to like pay. To basically get to the next level, or you've got to wait thirty seconds. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Kids being impatient don't want to wait, so they hit buy. Oh no! But yeah. which, which luckily they can't, so I have to approve it. Yeah, you stop them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just find it really seedy. I mean, you, you, you could have the best game written by the best team in the world ever, and then as soon as you get one of those pop-ups come up, I just delete the app. Yeah, I, I think, I think in the long run, these probably aren't sustainable businesses. I, I don't think that they are I don't know they might, might saying that, I'm, I'm not against in that purchases I mean if you was actually if you've got a, a piece of software with a base level of functionality but you can you know upgrade the functionality for an in-app purchase I'm fine yeah that. I, think, I think that that's a good way of doing it yeah that makes it I mean if you get more value you, you know you can charge more I suppose so um, but I think sometimes some of it is kind of a bit when it's aimed at children and things like that it's a bit despicable as some of the some of the sort of tactics are you know yeah, there's there's one game. I've forgotten what it's called. Uh, I don't know what's it called. I don't look on my phone. Yeah, <laughs> I've got it on my phone because my son plays it from time to time. Remember out, Smash Foo. That's the one. It's one of these games where you got to like you got things moving down the screen and you have to tap them, but try not to hit the dynamite and stuff like that. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's I was, I was watching him play it because you, you can earn coins in the game to buy upgrades and things that you can. Smash. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, if you watch the adverts, you get coins. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a reward for watching the adverts. So my son was playing this game, and I was like, what are you doing, Dan? He goes, oh, I'm just earning earning money in the game. So how are you doing that? He goes, oh, I'm just sitting here and watching the adverts. <laughs> yeah. And he keeps on going on to this menu, it just keeps on showing you adverts. And he goes, oh, I've got 100 coins now, I can, I can buy this upgrade. Oh, no, yeah, that's terrible. I was like, are you enjoying that? He goes, yeah, it's really good fun. So, oh. Is it? Uh, it's getting okay. paid to watch ads. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Whereas he found that fun. Whereas I just find that yeah, annoying. Yeah, horrible. yeah. And that comes with maturity, doesn't it? You know, realize you're perhaps more cynical and realize what these things are. You know, to them it's probably just a game, isn't it? Yeah, a, yeah. There's one app I do quite like though. Um, there's a in in the UK we've got a sort of a bakery brand called Greg's okay yeah, yeah so if anyone in the US is basically it's so a baker's you know you go in there and you buy sausage rolls and donuts yeah and coffee yeah. and bacon rolls so they're quite a big company in the UK and they've got an app which I think is quite good this is kind of a good example of an app that supports an existing retail business yeah yeah so for years I think Greg's was struggling a bit as a, as a company they kind of fell out of favor a bit and a lot yeah, of stores looked yeah. a bit, bit you know old but they've kind of like you know done everything up and they've come out with this app and it's a, it's a rewards app. But basically, what you can do is you can pay money into the app as like a digital wallet. Yeah. Then you basically use that as an easier way to pay in the store. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But as you do it, and the more you use it, you kind of uh, build up rewards. Yeah. So every now and again, when you walk into the store, it will pop up and say you can get a free bottle of coke or you can have a free sausage roll. Oh yeah. Which I think yeah. Is quite good. And then yeah, as, you, as, as you buy a coffee, it like gives you stamps. And every, every time oh, you get yeah, seven you get stamps, like, you get a free coffee. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. 
But the reason I thought it was quite interesting, because I use their app, you know, because it's, it's on my route to the train station, so I'll quite frequently <laughs> okay. get, get a coffee on the way to the station. Yeah. Or a bacon roll, sometimes. <laughs> Every time, <laughs> yeah. But what I thought, thought was quite interesting, I was thinking about this the other day. So you, you've got Greg's on the high street in the town that I live, and then just opposite, there's another baker's called Bird's. Oh, yeah. So yeah which is, another, birds, which yeah. is another brand of bakers yeah, in the UK. Yeah. Now, if you think realistically about it, I think the, the quality of the food in birds is probably a lot better than Greg's. Yeah, it's good stuff, yeah. Yeah, I go to Greg's because I've got the app and I get the rewards and I get the little stickers, uh, which okay, means I get free yeah, coffee. Yeah. Perhaps birds need to do it. And then like, on your birthday, you get a thing pop up in the Greg's app that says, you know, come into Greg's and have a free cake. Yeah, I'm, I know it's like uh, birds have only just got the, um, so you can pay con contactless, you know, with the card. You then just started accepting card oh, okay. payment. It used to always just be cash. So up until quite recently, you know, so they're kind of a bit behind the times, but yeah, yeah they're quite traditional, yeah. Well, I was thinking about it the other day whilst I was having my bacon sandwich. <laughs> okay, yeah. But, you know, this actually, I mean, it's in terms of an app, it's not the most technologically advanced app in the world. It's not going to win any design awards. Yeah. But functionality-wise, there's a way, you know, they've, you can tell they've thought seriously about how can we get customers to keep coming back into our stores. Yeah, but routinely by offering by them, up, yeah. you know, some cheap rewards. Yeah. through this app and I thought it was quite a, a neat idea it's clever yeah it's clever It's perhaps that's what more bricks and mortar stores are going to have to do isn't it think more about things like that you know well I mean yeah they're going to have to I mean the high street certainly in the UK is struggling yeah yeah for sure yeah you see you walk down some high streets and they look quite derelict don't they it's quite sad isn't it yeah closed shops everywhere which is quite sad so I mean so you look at what Greg's have done they've obviously tried to you know respond to the, the struggles of the high street. Yeah, yeah. And to be successful, they had to do these things, yeah. But I thought it worked quite well, just why I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. Ooh. Lost my notes. Where are we? Okay. So another idea around sort of um, business models for um, kind of freelancers or people considering going freelancing is around content creation. So we've talked a lot about apps and in-app purchases and recurring revenue. Okay, yeah, yeah. But content creation is kind of another way of doing it, which is, you know, which is effectively what my business is. I'm a content developer. Yeah, yeah. So I've got things here like, you know, so doing courses for companies like Plural Sites, although Plural Sites is a bit harder to do, so that's a bit of an edge case. But you've got companies like Skillshare, for example, which is a very similar model to Plural Site, where as a consumer you pay a monthly fee, which I think is $10. Okay, yeah. And then you yeah. can watch any of the content on there. Oh, cool. Watch yeah, as much yeah. of it as you like, and then, you know, that's kind of divvied up and paid out towards the, the content creators. So they get they get a, a commission or royalty of... They get a royalty, yeah. yeah. Which is exactly how it works with Pillsite as well. Um, but that's that's kind of a good way of getting recurring revenue and sort of passive income that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, so you build a course, put it up on Pluralsight or Skillshare or wherever, and then you get a, you know a commission each month and do then or... Yes, I mean, like with Pluralsight, for example, we, we have an analytics dashboard we can log in. So every day we can see how many um, minutes have been watched that month, yeah. how many users have watched it. And then about 15 days after the end of a month, they, they actually calculate what that's worth. Uh, okay, yeah. So yeah. You, you, don't, you don't have a real-time view of how much you're going to get paid. There's a bit of a lag on finding out the actual uh, okay, so you yeah. kind of roughly predict it, which is quite good. Is it is it hard to become a Pluralsight author now? Is it is it is that quite a... You know, it's a quite for plural site. Is there, there's an audition process you have to go through? Yeah, um, which can take several months. Would it be hard to say if I wanted to become a plural site author? Would it be hard for me to do that now? You know, harder now that it would have been say like uh, five years plural ago. Plural site specifically, I don't know actually. I know ages ago they, they quoted the numbers to me saying that for every hundred people that go through the audition process, ten will pass. 
Really? And then one will actually go on to publish a course. Really? Wow, that's quite... Mo- mostly because the amount of work you do, you have to do to produce a course is so much, it kind of puts a lot of new people off. Because uh, okay, yeah. a lot of people are generally doing it as a side gig. Yeah. And when they realise just how much time you've got to give up to doing it, it kind of puts some people off. Whether, whether that ratio has changed now or not, I don't know. Okay, yeah. yeah. But, you know, as I was saying, which I can't remember if I said it in this episode or last episode, my brain's going, but... He, it's getting harder to, you can't just go to Pluralsight and say, I want to do a course on this. And they go, yep, that's fine, off you go. Oh, yeah, that generally do doesn't happen as much. Now yeah. they've, they've kind of got a content plan that they're trying to work towards. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. so it's got to be something that fits in with that. Yeah. yeah. If you if you decide to do a course, it's got to fit in with their So I, I, I've pitched loads of different courses that have been turned down before. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. I still yeah. want to do them, so I'll probably do them for Skillshare. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I've discussed with people that they're, they're fine with that happening. Okay. Um, another way of doing that is a company like Udemy, which is another course, courseware website. Um, but the business model is different. So instead of paying a subscription, you pay for each course individually. Okay, yeah. yeah. So if, if there's a course on, I don't know, baking rustic bread, what's we're talking about? Um, yeah, and Udemy. On yeah. Udemy, you Udemy. can go and pay like £25 for that course. Okay, yeah. yeah. Course, How much you do you get a certain percentage of that then, do you? Or yeah. Do you, yeah, yeah. It, can that work then, can it, as a, as, a, as a model? Do you know people that have made a career out of doing... I don't personally. Doing courses? Um, I think people have. I mean, personally, I don't like the model. I prefer the recurring model. Yeah, of like yeah. Pluralsight and Skillshare. Is, is Udemy, Udemy more, more aimed at consumers, is it, than... than is Pluralsight more aimed at professional developers? Yeah, I mean, Pluralsight, you, you can buy a personal subscriptions, so individuals can buy subscriptions to it. Uh, and okay. that's indeed where they started off, is selling the individual subscriptions. But uh, what, what they're really aiming at is large enterprises. Yeah, who can pay, you know, uh, uh, for a number of subscriptions for yeah, their I mean, employees. Yeah, Pluralsight's absolutely dominating enterprises at the moment. Their, their sales team are so good. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of unbelievable the size of some of the companies they're selling into. Okay, yeah, yeah. So these, a large company will buy uh, 70 seats or whatever. Or, yeah, so if you've got a team of, I don't know, 30 developers, Yeah, you might buy 30 licenses so each person can have their own license. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah, and that's the, so obviously they're paying subscription as well, so. And another one around here, sort of content creation I've got as an example is Kindle publishing. So like, if you go on to YouTube, for example, and you, you type in Kindle publishing, you'll find loads of like videos about how to make Kindle work yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of shady stuff out there where you get people just hiring Ghostwriters, effectively, from third world countries just to write any old crap for them. Really? And then, okay. then push it out with proper keyword analysis. I mean, that's kind of the shady side of it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds dodgy, yeah. But actually, as a platform, um, Amazon's done a really good job. So if, if you generally want to write a book and put it out there, they've got tools to help you create a paperback book. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. called Kindle Direct Publishing. So all of my books are done via Kindle Direct Publishing. So they make it really easy to put the paperback together. And to also publish the Kindle, like e-reader version. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you how do you sort of gauge demand for a, a particular book or a course, or how does that work? You know, if, if you're going to launch it, a book on Kindle, how do you know whether people would buy it or not, or whether there's demand for that uh, content? It's difficult. There are some tools you can use. There's one that I've used before called KDP Rocket. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it's a keyword analysis tool, effectively. So it tells you how many times certain keywords have been searched for on oh, okay, in the last yeah. month for any given keyword or variation of keywords. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily guarantee that someone's going to buy your book. But yeah, it gives you at least some data to work out there. Yeah. The, the, the way I always work it when I've done books is 
if you write about something that interests you, the chances are it's going to interest someone else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, it's funny to say. At one point, I did actually look at doing some kind of like training course on how to do structural design for like yeah. consumers. So it's like basic, like say people need to design a steel beam or whatever for their house or whatever. So we were going to do a training course. So we actually actually produced like a a website with a landing page with a quick like YouTube video on it, and we just. Um, test it on AdWords, see how many people would click the ad and how many people would write their email address. And okay. it just, there wasn't really much interest in it though. And I think the reason we, we sort of worked out is that um, most people, if they want to size up a steel beam, they just want a quick answer. They don't want to, they just want to perhaps go onto calculation tool and work out a size quickly. They want to spend like a week doing a course or yeah. two weeks doing a training course, you know. It's, it's a pain that they have now and they want to solve straight away. So I think you right. have to, and it's such a niche as well that w what we were doing, it didn't really work. So we kind of canned the idea. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot, a lot of the courses I've done on books are kind of aimed at professional development, personal development. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's where someone's actually got an ambition to, you know, to get better at, say, focusing on work and removing procrastination or uh, public okay. speaking. Yeah, yeah. But Amazon's got some really good tools. They've got the uh, thing called Amazon Marketing Services, AMS, which okay. is a bit like paid for Twitter ads, similar sort of idea. So you, you do like a cost per click that you can bid on a set of keywords. Okay. Yeah. And what it will do is it will show you on the Amazon page. So if someone types in, I don't know, stamp collecting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you've got stamp collecting as one of your keywords. If someone types that in, you can you can make it give preference to your book in, okay. in the search rankings. I didn't realise that. <laughs> it's the same sort of model as like Google AdWords. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of Facebook marketing, Twitter ads, similar sort of thing. But you can actually make your book appear higher in the search ranking if you pay for it. Oh, I didn't know that, yeah. And what it does is if people buy it, they, they give you like a ratio that says, you know, for what you spent on advertising, this is how much you've made, so your AdWords are this effective. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so when you release a book, you set up Amazon marketing services, but you routinely keep an eye on it. So if it's not being effective and you're losing money, you yeah. just kill the ad campaign. We have thought about doing some kind of like uh, training content as, as a, like a lead generation tool, you know, you know, to get, you know, give out some free information in exchange for getting people's email addresses and things like that. So we might do that at some point, but obviously it's a lot of work, you know. Yeah. Amazon, a lot of people, I think, I think a lot of people realize this. Amazon is a fantastic marketplace or a fantastic place to sell goods, all kinds of goods. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, you sometimes hear people saying about how Amazon's killing the uh, the high street. Yeah, yeah, we, we see it, don't um, we, quite physically. I mean, to one extent, yes, maybe that's true, because obviously you've got people just go to Amazon instead of going to a store. Or yeah. the worst one is if someone goes into a store, does a price comparison with Amazon and then just buys it from Amazon. But what a lot of people don't realize is Amazon's actually got a really good marketplace where anyone from individuals to shops you, you can go and list say your 20 best-selling products and have them on the on the page competing with other companies okay yeah, yeah. so if you're searching for i'm trying to give the product a coffee machine okay yeah, yeah. example yeah you know, a delonghi coffee machine i'm just looking at my coffee machine <laughs> okay yeah. so someone can search for a coffee machine and then it'll, it'll the, the product page that comes up on Amazon will always tell you the best price for the, for a new version of that coffee machine, for a brand new, like, not used version. Okay, yeah, yeah. So if you go and look at the prices, if you put, pitch your prices like a few cents or a few pence below the current lowest price, for example, when someone clicks add to basket, it'll be your one that goes to basket first. Okay, yeah. So yeah. you can do a lot of um, sort of price comparison and price competing. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Which a lot of companies do that. So some companies that have had physical shops, 
they might have started off by putting their 20 best selling products on Amazon and being really careful about the prices. Then actually over time, they've actually started doing so much volume through Amazon that they've actually gone and shut down their retail stores and just gone to purely it's as well. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine they it's would. Not yeah. things. So Amazon has all these tools for shops to do that. It's just not a lot of people know about them. Yeah. So actually yeah. Amazon is probably one of the, apart from sort of Google and things like that, it's probably one of the biggest search engines out there. Yeah, I can imagine if you want to buy a yeah. product, it's on there, Am- isn't it? Amazon is a search engine. Yeah. That's, that's basically what it is, but a search engine for products. Yeah, it's a directory of products, isn't it, basically? So a lot of people do um, businesses, um, you might hear it's called FBA or Fulfilled by Amazon. So same yeah. sort of thing. So you can either sell your own products on there or you can go to companies in China. So was it AliExpress? Yeah, I know you should explore, yeah. I've, I've heard of people doing this. I mean, I've not known anybody who's done it personally. I think, it's, I think it can be quite competitive. I think it's one of those sort of markets where you have to get in there first, you know, sometimes. If, if you um, Google, well not Google, if you go onto YouTube and search for Fulfilled by Amazon tutorials, you'll find loads of tutorials that teach you how to do it. Yeah. It doesn't guarantee success, but it kind of shows you the process. Yeah. So when we were talking about it before we were recording, like you can go onto AliExpress and you can like buy children's trainers, for example, and that tells you the manufacturing price, which might be, say, $5. Yeah. So if you think there's a market for that, and a lot of these courses on YouTube tell you how to assess the market. So you could say go and order hundred pairs of those and you can have AliExpress ship it directly to an Amazon fulfillment center yeah in the US or the UK depending on where you're operating you set up your sellers page and as soon as the products arrive it's for sale on Amazon so you'll hear that referred to as an FBA business fulfilled by Amazon business yeah yeah I think and a lot of people have made huge amounts of money doing that just by assessing the needs of people and one way they assess needs is they'll set up um, Facebook ads targeted Facebook ads and they'll try and get people to click or engage with the advert uh, okay, to, to yeah. go onto like a holding website. And they, they'll run loads of these different ad campaigns and see which products stick. Uh, okay, yeah. And then yeah. they'll use that as a way of gauging the, the level of interest for a product. Yeah, I mean, I've done similar things before with, like, you know, I was saying about the, the we're going to do a course, we use Google AdWords for similar sort of to gauge whether there was demand for this product before we even built it, you know. Um, so, yeah, this, the, obviously you can use Facebook to the same thing, but yeah. And there's a kind of another version of this called drop shipping, which is quite popular. I've, I've never done this, so I'm just going by sort of what I've read. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're quite interesting models. And what drop shipping is, is it's similar to the Fulfilled by Amazon, except you run the website yourself. Yeah, yeah. So let's say, for example, you're looking to sell, I don't know, use the coffee machine example again. Mm. So you want to sell coffee machines. You know that AliExpress will sell you the coffee machine for $50, and you want to sell it for $150. Yeah, things. yeah. So you set up a website using a site like Shopify, which is a way of creating e-commerce sites. Yeah, yeah. And then they have plugins which hook in with AliExpress. So as soon as someone makes an order through your website, the order goes straight to AliExpress, and then they ship it from China. Yeah, so you don't actually hold the stock, do you? It, it comes direct from the manufacturer. Yeah, so whereas fulfilled by Amazon, you need to actually have them physically send stock to Amazon first. So you have to buy that stock. Yeah. So there's an upfront um, amount of money you have to pay. Whereas drop shipping, there isn't. And you, you'll find this a lot. If you go on to things like Instagram, you, yeah, you get this is one of the best ways apparently of, that they market these things. Is you'll see these adverts of products pop up. Yeah. And then you you click on it. It goes to a, a Shopify store that's been made branded to look really nice. Yeah, yeah. And then it'll say something along the lines of you know, due to demand, this may take four weeks to to arrive. To arrive. It's got to arrive from the reason it's going to take four weeks to arrive is it's been sent directly from China. Yeah, from the yeah, yeah. And you know, 
you look on, I've had a good look on AliExpress before, just out of interest, and a lot of the products they're selling are actually really good quality. It's yeah. the same stuff that you get in like retail stores over here. Yeah, yeah, it will be. Yeah. But you're buying it directly from manufacturers. So AliExpress is basically a marketplace for manufacturers to sell their goods. Yeah. And you know, a lot of them will do custom branding or custom logos on products for you. Yeah, I think it's important that you do, I mean, if you do, there's things you'll be careful, there's lots of sharks out there that sell courses on how to do all these sort of things. And sometimes, you know, because somebody, somebody else has been successful, you've got to be careful it's not. Um, oh yeah, so like I'm, some I'm, kind of I'm, not, I'm, not, saying, I'm not saying that you do this, you can make a lot of money. It's just, I thought it'd be interesting to look at kind of different business models that people yeah. tend to do when they go to work for themselves. No, it's worth it's worth a, worth a try. I mean, it, there was a guy who was in a marketing intern for me last year, and he was going to do a business doing um, selling T-shirts where you print your own T-shirts or whatever. I can't remember what they did now. So hand printing their own T-shirts and things, okay. you know, and they were they were going to do it as an online. I don't know how how he went with it. I'll have to contact him and see. But he was yeah, he'd seen what we'd done and seen like you know how you can market things online, and he was looking okay. into sort of selling these products online. I don't know how far he got with it. Um, but I think he was going to set up his own Shopify site and start selling these things. Shopify is actually really good. Um, so a personal friend of mine and my wife's, uh, she set up a business years ago selling antique silverware. Okay, it's, it's yeah. her and this, this other guy who was an antiques dealer. But he was used to doing, he's quite an older guy, he was used to doing sort of selling it in shops. Okay. And she was trying to offload a lot of the silverware stuff that they were doing online. Mm. So I, I helped her set up the Shopify store for it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I have used Shopify because we did, I've sort of experimented with it a little bit um, where we had these sort of like templates where people could do these templated calculations and they'd fill in the forms. So I set up the forms and did a very basic Shopify template. I've sort of experimented with it. It does work really well, actually. Mm. It's, it's easy to use. It's nice. You know, the back end really nice as well, isn't it? It's quite organized, you know. It does all the, it handles all the payment stuff for you. As well. Yeah, it's really good, actually. Yeah, I'd recommend it if you're selling any kind of um, physical product. You know yourself. I think I'd, I'd, I'd just use a Shopify site rather than build your own bespoke oh, yeah, application or whatever. Yeah. You know, especially in this day and age. Or use fulfilled by Amazon, which seems to be quite popular. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so we, you know we've gone through a, a few business models. So we talked about you know pay up front, you know, single payments for apps. Yeah. We talked about you know using ad revenue as a way of making money, or using tip jars to turn adverts off. Okay. Yeah. Uh, subscription services. Whether it's you know via an app or like a website like yourself where you pay, you know monthly recurring subscriptions is a good yeah. way. Uh, in-app purchasing, which I think can work in some instances, but I, I think it's a bit insidious in other ways. <laughs> yeah. So loot boxes and pay-to-play, I think, is a bit yucky personally. But paying for additional features in an app, I think, is quite a good model. Yeah, yeah, you could have like same versions of you know of your app, but um, you know you could unlock additional value and features. With yeah in-app purchases. Then we talked about ways of making revenue via content creation. So it could be Kindle publishing, training courses on Udemy, Skillshare, companies like that. Yeah. It's a, quite a good way of getting into running your own freelance business. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of on the other end of the market, we talked about you know actual physical goods businesses via drop shipping and fulfilled by Amazon. I've not got any experience with those personally, but I've, I've, I've read quite a bit about it because I think it's interesting. It's yeah, just, it's, just, it's something, something I've, I've, interested in. I've looked at doing, but obviously I've never quite gone. Obviously, I've, I've done services and software, but not physical products. Yeah, let's, uh, let's finish off with some recommendations. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, should I do my recommendation? Yep. Yeah, it's a, a podcast um, called Text Texting. 
it's textinglive.com. It's a podcast by a guy called Jason Roberts and Justin Vincent, and they sort of they're in um, San Francisco area. And uh, I think Jason Roberts was one of the first sort of um, developers at Uber, so it's quite interesting, you know, his, okay. what he's doing. And uh, Justin Vincent's always got a side project that he's working on. It was sort of like goes through. They've always had things they've done, you know, side projects. Um, it's just quite interesting to. Also, usually quite long as well. Usually like two hours long, so you get a real feeling of what they're thinking and what they're talking about. You know, really in depth. You know, is. I think we've got a bit of time. I tend to do it if I'm doing a bit of CAD work or something, I have it in, on in the background, you know, listen to it okay. whilst I'm doing some other work or something, like some low cognitive work, you know. Um, but it's really interesting though, yeah. I would check that one out. It's another one I'm going to subscribe to. Yeah, another one, another <laughs> one. Uh, I, I tend to listen to podcasts when I'm going out walking. So yeah, it might be a good one. Like it's really long though, times. I think. that Their episodes are usually like one or two hours long. Um, but it's, it's really interesting though. Just hearing their thought. I mean, um, Jason Roberts came with this concept of like look surface area where, you know, the more you get out there, the more sort of look you create for yourself by just going out there and spreading yourself, you know. The okay. more context you like to make, the more lucky you get lucky because you kind of make yourself lucky a little bit by getting right. out there, you know. So networking. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So my recommendation is a book, it's called Hooked, How to Build Habit Forming Products. And I apologise if I get the guy's name wrong. I think it's Naya Ei. Okay. N i r e y a i. And this book's it's kind of cool. It's kind of part business book and a bit sort of psychological. So oh, okay. It's talking yeah, about how yeah. um, a lot of companies use psychology to make you engage with their apps. Yeah, think, yeah. Uh, which is quite interesting. And you know, it's not it's not all roses. It's talking about kind of the insidious side of it as well, where yeah, a lot yeah. of apps really are like slot machines in the way they try and hook you in. Yeah, I think that's what obviously. Hooks. I think we mentioned in previous episodes about like trying to avoid um, like having apps on your phone because they can be quite addictive, can't yeah. they? And they can take up a lot of your time and not really see you know take away your productivity really. You know, so you do have to be careful. We were talking about you know just just where people have like experimented. When I say people, I mean sort of social. Um, I was about to say social engineering sites, <laughs> but I mean social media sites. But, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, kind of social engineering in a way, right, where they'd experiment with like the, the color of a like button or the shape of a like button because different colors and different shapes can push higher levels of engagement ah uh, okay yeah yeah and they yeah, know this by, don't they yeah. what, what they're after is that they, they want that little dopamine hit when you interact with a site yeah they want to stay on their site and, yeah. and obviously display more ads to you know the longer you're on the site the more money they make you know yeah. from displaying ads so the book's basically about that I've not finished it yet I'm about halfway through it um, I'm just listening to it on Audible, but it's really interesting. It's kind of a, a really good insight into some of the psychology about how people make their apps addictive. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, it would be interesting um, to you know to be aware of these things. You know, so at least you know the pit the pitfalls yourself <laughs> to avoid getting addicted to an app and why it's addictive. And next week, I'll still beam calculator. We'll have a little like button, that's <laughs> like the right color, <laughs> makes a little ding so, noise when you click on it. Oh no, yeah, quite sad. Make it really satisfying to use. So use it more. No, I don't think it really helps what we do. Yeah, well, you want an animated metal lever that you pull and like a oh, spinning yeah. wheels. Yeah, you can make it, yeah, perhaps we read that book and like, we can make it more addictive, you know. Your beam calculation is... <laughs> you a big rush when your report comes up. Yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah. The sound of money falling into a bucket like, like you get oh, on a, on a freight machine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, really, really good book. So that's called Hooked, How to Build Habit Forming Products. Yeah, that no, sounds good. I'm going to check that one out. Cool, so uh, that was a good episode, and we'll see everyone in a few weeks. Yeah, see you in a few weeks. Cheers and bye. Bye.